0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ, in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I woke up this morning at the fire station and uh, drank my normal cup of coffee. It's feeling pretty good. Then my relief came in about, oh, 5.45, and I'd been teasing him, he goes to Seven Brew, which is, you know, whatever, but all the time, and he brings in something for himself, and I gave him, I teased him last shift, said, where's mine, you know, blah, blah, blah. So here he walks in with the Seven Brew, Blondie, you know, and I drank it too. (laughs) So my energy level is more conducive to out cutting trees or something than to speak, probably from the pulpit this morning. So I'll try to rein it in and not out-talk your ears. Uh, Lots of energy. Uh, So I guess hopefully you can put up with that. I'm glad that we're here. I'm excited that we can fellowship together and uh, I'm thankful for the song leaders, the heart that's put into it, the desire to do it well. So thank you. And Duane, appreciate your uh, opening thoughts this morning. You know, God gave them manna. He blessed them and provided for them. But, oh, not too long after that, they were sick of the manna. It wasn't good enough for them. So I guess my hope and prayer is this morning, Not we're going to talk about God's Word. And we're going to try to apply it. As as Dwayne said, be fed spiritually with God's Word. But I pray that it returns to us more, and affects our hearts better than, and our attitudes more than it did the manna with the children of Israel, that we, we apply it to ourselves, that we enjoy it, that we give thanks for it, that, that we don't, that our attitudes are conducive to learning this morning, and that we're here to worship, so I am glad that everyone's here. I got a couple visitors from Clarksville area, and Maga here, glad to have her. So I'm glad that we're here to worship together. The picture of this lady behind me, her name is Rosaria Butterfield. And if you already know the story, don't blow my sermon. Okay, Phil? Some of you are shaking your heads. Yes, and you might know of—I'm going to call her Rose because it's easier to say than Rosary all the time. So, and I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but we're going to say Rose or Miss Butterfield. Some of you know her because she's famous. She's well known. Um, she is a well-known Christian author who has written uh, several books. She is a public speaker. She is the wife of a pastor, and she is a homeschool mom. So when we look at her, you know, she's a beacon of what we would think of as a Christian woman. And she's done a lot. But that hasn't always been the case for Rose. I'm going to read a little bit about her story before we dig into our lesson, just to kind of give you a, a, an idea of who she is and why we're even talking about her this morning. This is her account of her, her life, okay? She, she's written an autobiography, and so some of this comes from her, her own life story. It says, the word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I could not hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my wrath and pity. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians, in particular, were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark to the end, uh, to end it rather than to deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing, that's what I thought of Christians and their God Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a brick shampoo commercial model. She then began researching the religious right and their treatment of the homosexual community. And so she began to read the Bible several times actually to understand where these Christians got their views, where they, they got their, so, in her eyes, so right-wing strong views about uh, different things, but especially about sexuality. So she read the Bible. As part of this process in 1997 she wrote a scathing article in her local New York newspaper about this certain what she thought of as a right-wing group. To her surprise, to her surprise she received a kind and inquiring letter from a local pastor named Ken. And here are the eventual results of that letter. <clears throat> With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at uh, certain pride festivals, marches. That Christians who mocked me on these certain days were happy that I and everyone there were going to hell was very clear. That this is, this is not what Ken did He did not mock. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this would be good for my research. Something else happened. Ken and his his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about deep matters and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sins in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends with them. I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. But the Bible got to me, or got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, my life changed. And I began to put away the sinful lifestyle that I had adopted. And Rose began to go to church. She began to let Jesus triumph in her life and changed her in ways that she never thought were possible. It all started with a kind and inquiring spirit and simple dinner invitation. At a time when Rose's self-described mission was to tear down The very thing for which Pastor Ken stood. Paint that picture for a second. This woman is 100 miles an hour at the desire to destroy people's Christian faith. That was her self-proclaimed goal, was to tear down these ideas that Christians hold. She was so vigorous about it that she read the Bible in an effort to prove herself right. Well, upon this letter, again, this pastor reaches out with love and opens his home. And her life is forever changed. And now she is that author writing books. (laughs) She is that, that public speaker changing people's lives because a man and his wife were gentle They were engaging. They were fair and reasonable, thoughtful. Now put yourself in Ken and his wife's shoes for a minute. To welcome into your home a professed professor of uh, women's lib studies, (laughs) of things that you, you staunchly oppose, knowing full well that she has no desire but to destroy your faith and you say I'd like to get to know you I'd like to understand why you see things the way you do that's that's huge that's powerful and so this morning I want to continue this thought on hospitality in Romans it says let love be genuine Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Instructions for Christians are to seek to show hospitality, among other things. But I want to point our attention to the the beginning of verse 9. It says, let our love be genuine. That, I don't think we can emphasize that more. Our love has to be genuine, and people have to see us as genuine people. They have to trust that our desire to spend time with them is for the right reasons. That doesn't mean that we we hide under a facade of not trying to preach Jesus. I don't think that was Ken's desire at all. But I think his desire was to truly show her the love that she needed to bring her to Jesus. And that was to be sincere, to be genuine. So we can't show this brotherly love to each other, let alone to the outside onlooking world who, who desires to judge us. We cannot do that successfully if our love is not first genuine. We have to ask ourselves, is our love for each other, is our love for the outside world, is it genuine? Or is it programmed within us, as if it's something we as Christians should do. Is it genuine? So we see that we have, and I think we would all agree, that we can find in Scripture enough evidence that hospitality should be on our plate. I'm not going to stand up here and and debate that. I think we can all find it. This idea, this word uh, in the Greek, this word hospitality is used Similarly in a couple different places uh, It's the same root word, but used slightly differently And in, in some places. It means more Being hospitable to strangers, and then sometimes it's being more hospitable to people. Maybe you know So it's used a little bit differently, but very similar the word itself means fond of guests given to hospitality or a lover of hospitality So I want to, it can be overwhelming, if we're honest, about hospitality can be overwhelming, especially when we think about being hospitable towards strangers. Would you agree? That can be overwhelming. We, it's really easy for us to invite each other, but it's really difficult to invite, like, let's say someone we only met a couple times, that's overwhelming. But let's say somebody we just met is super overwhelming. So I want to put in our minds this idea of stranger a stranger doesn't have to be somebody that we've never met before a stranger can just be somebody who's not in our normal household function somebody that doesn't live within our our walls typically so it might be someone you know pretty well each other it might be someone you know kinda well that's visited a couple times but it could also mean somebody you just met for the first time so don't let this idea of stranger overwhelm us too much it's just simply People that live outside of our walls, right? So it doesn't have to be so overwhelming. But to be fond of guests. So looking at, we, we give this, these certain responsibilities the Bible does, and we look to elders and we expect high, uh, certain qualities out of them. Well, let's look at a couple of verses that talk about uh, hospitality and the role of an elder. And I'll bring this to a point in a second. Uh, Speaking of elders, it says here in Titus, it says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, high standards for these elders. Remember that. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Writing to first Timothy, this saying is the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. So we see here that it's it's a it's a requirement for elders. But why? why is it a requirement for elders and on top of that because it's a requirement for elders does it mean it's not a requirement for us that's the bigger question here and i'm going to answer that first peter 5 says so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not not because you have to, but willingly, genuinely, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders are only elders to be an example of how we ought to have conduct. So let us never look to an eldership or to a group of people and think that, well, they're held to a higher standard, and so therefore they're responsible. You know, that's a, that, that hospitality thing is, an, is the role of the eldership. It's, it's the role of the church leaders. I don't want us to be confused by that. I want us to realize that The the elders, the role of the elders is to be an example of the conduct that you and I should have. We should be above reproach. We should be hospitable. So I don't want to fall into this mindset that 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 responsibility belongs to somebody else. It belongs to the leaders. It belongs to all of us. Hospitality is an opportunity for each of us. I could sit up here all morning and talk about verse after verse about how we should be hospitable. I am confident, however, that we agree that the Scripture is clear. And so I want to talk about some other areas of it, practical matters. I want to look at the heart. When I, when I talked about hospitality this morning, when you, knew, when you knew that my lesson was going towards hospitality, what went in your mind? Did you feel defensive? I'm I'm gonna guess that there were some of you that felt defensive immediately. That oh, here he goes, you know, this I've heard these lessons before on hospitality. Some of you felt a little overwhelmed, anxious with this thought. I'm guessing, I don't know what you thought, but and I don't wanna know what some of you thought probably, but there's a lot of emotions that are tied with hospitality. It brings a lot of feelings with it, from ex- past experiences, past sermons, people you've met, a lot. There's a lot of emotions. So this morning, I want to look at some of the reasons that that we could be discouraged to be hospitable. And they're all reasonable. They are. I want to know what... I'd like to know what some of you thought of as reasons to not be hospitable. But I'm going to list a few. And we're going to look at them individually here. People are difficult. I'm surprised we didn't get an amen on that one. But people are difficult. I'm difficult. Ask my wife. Ask my children. I'm difficult. When you have me into your home, when you get to know me, you're going to find things about me you don't like. Things that are different than you, and you're gonna say, "Honey, when you when you and your wife talk at night, and you had us over for dinner, I like Dane kind of, you know, but he's got this thing, or he's that, right? People are difficult. So that's a good reason not to be hospitable. That's a good reason. Our house is a mess. I mean, whose isn't right? <laughs> you know, so I just, it's not good. It's there's, we, honey, we can't do it right now. Our house is a mess. So, very reasonable. It creates more work, and absolutely it does. If you want to add more work to your plate, invite people over. Because it will be there. It will come. So, definitely a reasonable uh, excuse. What's the next one here? What popped up? It costs too much. It co- it does. I remember how much Clint and Amy had me over and... And that was one of the things that drew me to the church and and was so profound on me. They fed me. Of course, I lived with them, so they had to feed me. (laughs) Sorry about that, by the way. Uh, They had a newborn baby at the time, and I lived with them, and Amy hated me. And she still doesn't like me much, probably because of it. But they had people over all the time. And I can't imagine how much you guys spent on food. And, And food's, you know, gone up tremendously since then. It is an investment. I mean... You've got to take out a loan to have people over. It, it's cost a fortune, so you, it's you know, reasonable not to do it. What else? They may not like my cooking. Is that reasonable? Has anybody ever thought that? Honey, I'm not, you don't know have to shake your head. I already know what you think. Anybody else? That's a, a serious fear. Oh, hope my, Megan makes me taste everything before you guys do. And if it was bad, I'm going to lie to her anyway, so I don't know why you keep asking me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But a fear of the food not tasting good, because you care about what people think. You want to make them happy and feel welcome. That's a reasonable excuse to not be hospitable. The fear of your food not, not pleasing everybody. What will I say? If you have somebody over for the first time, you don't really know very well. What will, and, and these are conversations you and your spouse have actually probably had. What will we talk about? I don't know what to say to him. He's, he's so much different than me. Or she, I, I don't really understand her, her profession's different than mine. Or, you know, she just sees things different. I don't, I don't know what we'll say. I can't figure out what we'll talk about. So it's a good reason to not have him over. House is too small. There you go whatever house is too small I don't like my house it's ugly you know it needs to be painted whatever apply anything you want to your house and it's probably a good excuse our schedule is full probably the most common if we're honest we're just too busy Uh, this night of the week's already taken this night we've got Saturdays but Saturdays are family days so you know it's just we can't It, it makes sense our schedule is full already how could in the world could I fit in bringing more people into my home very reasonable to say that it's not possible what about everything has to be perfect are you that person everything just has to be just right before i can invite somebody over before i feel comfortable welcoming people into my home that's that's a real concern too tired. Um, We're just exhausted. Taking care of our own kids is plenty of work enough without having to deal with other people's kids. All of these reasons are absolutely true, but it does not justify it. That's, a hard, that's hard for me to say because it, it, I'm judging myself, looking at myself honestly and our family. All of these things may be true in your life or some of them, but they are not justifiable. It could be that we need to make changes to our lives in order to allow for hospitality to be a part of it. It seems to me that throughout God's word, He's saying make hospi- hosp- being hospitable a priority. In order to make it a priority, then we have to shove some things aside. We have to deal with some of these things honestly, and and put put the priority on doing what God expects and wants us to do, which can be really difficult. I want I want to be very clear too that I'm not. Uh, I'm not up here to say that uh, showing hospitality is a measure of your righteousness. We can often, I think, fall into that category. Well, I'm, I'm more hospitable than anybody I know. You know, I'm a beacon of hospitality. No, I don't think that showing hospitality is a, is a measure of our righteousness. But I do think it is a measure of our love for people. I would say that's true. So... Encourage us to examine our hearts as we look at our view on hospitality. Could be numerous other uh, reasons to avoid hospitality. All, all very reasonable uh, by the world's standards. But they shouldn't be by our standards. Did I, is there another one I just added? What was one before that? We'll just say people are difficult again. <laughs> that one's good. All right. So there's a verse here that is pretty amazing in Peter. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, listen to every word of this passage, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. What purpose is he talking about? He's saying "Arm to arm yourself, you have to physically go and select this armor right, or a sword, something to defend yourself with, you have to purposefully go select it and apply it to yourself. He's saying arm yourselves with this same mindset. What mindset? Suffering. Arm yourself with suffering is what the Bible tells us. Amazing. Christ has suffered in the flesh, so arm yourselves with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. God says, I want you to suffer in the flesh, and if you do so, you will cease from sin. That is amazingly powerful. Now, how does this apply to hospitality, you might ask? That seems like quite a stretch. (laughs) You know, suffering in the flesh and hospitality. That, it does, it seems like quite a stretch, but I don't think it is, and, I, and I'll have proof of that. So, uh, here's the verses, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking, for whosoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So we, we allow those human passions to die, that's what he means, to suffer in the flesh but that we might live in eternity. So we we allow our flesh to suffer some that we might gain eternal life. That's not a foreign concept to us Christians, but what is foreign, I think, is connecting hospitality and suffering, which I didn't do. Peter does that here in just about six verses later. He talks in between there about uh, sinful people Uh, debauchery and then they will get their punishment for their reward and then verse 7 picks up he says the end of all things is at hand the end of all things let that be a wake up call for us the end of all things is at hand for us as well therefore be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers above all above all keep loving one another earnestly Just like we read earlier, earnestly, sincerely, since love covers a multitude of sins. So he says, above all, so the end is near. Here's what I want you to know. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Well, how in the world do we love each other earnestly? What does the next verse say? By showing hospitality. See, it's not quite a stretch now when you make the connection with suffering in the flesh and hospitality. Is it? He's saying, Love, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. How do we love each other earnestly? We be hospitable toward one another. What's very funny to me, and it shouldn't be, but is the last part of that verse, without grumbling. <laughs> it's fun. God's like, hey, listen, I want you to be hospitable, and you're going to want to grumble. <laughs> you're not going to like a lot of it, but I want you to do it anyway, without grumbling. How many times do we, do we find ourselves finally doing something that we, want, that we should be doing, and, and we do it earnestly, but then at the end we grumble? <laughs> it's like, man, that was hard, or we, you know... They really are annoying. (laughs) Whatever the case may be, we grumble. Well, God says, don't grumble. Be hospitable earnestly. Love people fervently, earnestly, honestly, and don't grumble. And he, he knows that by saying don't grumble, he's proving that he knows our hearts. He's proving that he knows that we're prone to grumble when we have people over. When we use our home as an evangelistic tool, we are going to be prone to grumble. And so I encourage you, as we, as we seek hospitality, don't grumble. If we have a heart to grumble, God wants to change that. And he, he, he's questioning, if we're grumbling, then he wants us to question our sincere love for those that we are having hospitality towards. If we're grumbling, then it's likely not earnest. It's likely not sincere. So I'd question your motives. I'd question my motives. We must be willing to spend and be spent. You hear me? And be spent for the cause of the kingdom. We must be willing to spend and be spent for the purpose of the kingdom. Paul said it beautifully when he said, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering among you for the sacrificial offering of your faith. That's, that's being spent. Paul said, I'm poured out as a sacrificial offering for your faith. We want to be, be poured out for each other for each other's faith, for the stability of our families and our church. We want to be poured out. This is a quote from Rose. She says, None of this can be programmed, speaking of hospitality. You have to have time for disruptions. You've got to have some expectation God is there, not there to protect your boundaries around the small stuff, and you've got to be willing to look at your boundaries and measure them against the blood of Christ not against your own comfort levels. I understand 100% that hospitality is difficult. Uh, we all do. That's the, why it's talked about, why, why we have to be encouraged in it, because it is difficult. Because it, it does create disruption in our normal routine. And we're welcoming disruption in our normal routine when we open ourselves up to hospitality. But we, we see hospitality in a, such a, a modern sense, and we're kind of spoiled. And we actually have lost this this value of hospitality because of the day and age we live. But imagine uh, in Jesus' time, or the Apostles' time, it's easy for us to travel. We get in our cars, we can even pack a, a, a cooler, you know, with goodies in it, and, and lunch. We go to Colorado and we pack lunch, or... We go across the country, you pack a cooler, and honey, grab me the snacks out of the back seat, or, right, you got food in abundance, traveling's easy, Uh, we usually make reservations at what, we like, uh, what, Holiday Inn, what's the other one, Uh, you know, we like the one in Branson there, the Comfort Inn, we like the Comfort, I mean, it's great, it's a good hotel. We live in a time of abundance where traveling is easy, if you want to go visit a a family member uh, in Pennsylvania, right, it's it's not that hard, right, Derek? I mean, it's, you make, either you, you might, the good ones can be crazy, so they might drive through, right? But normal people might stop and get a hotel or something. It's easy. But in this day and age, you know, food didn't last like it does today. It wasn't in such an abundance. Housing, there wasn't inns everywhere. You couldn't call the Holiday Inn and reserve a room. It just didn't work that way. And so when people had to travel, they truly relied on Christian people that they had never met before possibly to say, come in and, and dine with us, stay the night with us. That was what hospitality looked like to them. It was a necessity. People's lives depended on other people opening their homes. Today, it's just something we do for fun, you know, or uh, it's not out of necessity and some fortunate, we have to allow time for disruptions. It, it, it can't always be on our schedule. Does that make sense? Hospitality cannot always be on our schedule. Now we'll talk about it in a minute that it should be on our schedule, and that will help. But it can't always be programmable and at the perfect timing. And we have, to, we have to be flexible and allow for disruptions in our normal routine. So let's look at a few tips to being hospitable. Uh, practical tips. Because I, I want us to, I, again, I don't want to step on, my goal isn't to step on toes. It's my, my goal is for us as a church to function the way that God intends for us to and, and be impactful to each other and to our community. So when you're fearful, and, you know, the the overwhelming sensations come with being hospitable. Let's look at some of these tips that we can remind ourselves of. So remember that you have good news. You have the good news of the gospel to share with people. So you have a reason to have them over, and you have good information for them. Number two, remember that God goes before you. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to... That's the beauty of hospitality. You're not going to a debate, right? You don't have to study your notes and be prepared for every argument or question that they're going to throw at you. All you have to do is show them love. All you have to be is genuine and accepting and letting them know that you're glad they're there. It's actually very freeing because we don't have to win a debate. It doesn't work that way. So remember that God goes before you when you show genuine Christian hospitality God is there, dwelling with you. Number three, ask number. F- well, we huh? There you go. Uh, ask good questions. Okay, ask good questions. Be prepared. Uh, think of depending on how well you know this person. Be prepared to ask certain questions about them, about their their jobs or about their family, about their past. Just be prepared to ask good questions. Get the conversation flowing. Listen carefully. And pretend that was above the other one. Listen carefully. So ask good questions, but, but engage them. Make them feel. So it's not just making them feel a certain way. It's actually showing them that it, you care. It's that genuine factor. Actually care about them. Actually care about their past. Actually care how they view Christianity or the Church of Christ or past experiences. So listen very carefully to them. Talk about Jesus. If you've got nothing else to talk about, don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. And eventually, that's where we want to go anyways. Six, plan for it and make a plan. That sounds redundant, but number one, plan for it. Put it on your schedule. We all have Google Calendar. We all we have a family calendar on top of that, and we we basically live off of that calendar. If you don't put it on... Derek knows. Everyone, if you don't put it on the calendar, it doesn't happen. Right? So we have to allow for some of it to happen organically, and be willing for these disruptions to happen into our lives, and that's got to be okay. But also, if we, if we really are intentional about it, we can plan to be hospitable. We can plan to have people into our lives. We can plan to love on people and be genuine. So plan and make a plan. What are you going to talk about? How are you going to engage them? Get your kids involved, right? Have a plan for when they come over. Set goals. Uh, some recommendations that I read was, you know, set literal goals. We want to have, you know, a, a guest a week in our home. Or we want to start out once a month. We want to have, you know, start whatever works for your family, but, but set a goal. Have a goal. This is how we want it to start. Start with one guest whatever it looks like a week, a month, whatever. But set goals. Number eight, do what you already do, but intentionally. So you have a family routine, and it's good. You have a nightly routine, tucking in the kids and Bible reading, whatever it is, just involve others in it. It doesn't always, you know, hospitality look, can look a million different ways. It doesn't always have to be, you know, this one way. But invite people over to be a part of your family routine. It's, it doesn't have to be this grand thing; it just has to be genuine. Remember that. Number nine, love earnestly. Let them know that it's it, it's it's real. That them being there is you care about them. And it's okay as Christians if this person's a non-Christian to let them know that we love them because of Christ. That and, and that's exactly who we should be and who they should see in us I should have had a tenth one because it would have made it all fit but I just ran out of good ideas I guess so you got nine you can come up with more but those are nine that that I thought to be practical tips starting points maybe for us to be uh, maybe again maybe you implement these already and and do well and And then you know the power of being hospitable. Just think about when you're invited over to someone's home and you're welcomed into their family life, the craziness of it, whatever it is. Just think about how that makes you feel. Think about the connection that you get in somebody's home. You don't get that anywhere else. We meet here on Sunday mornings and we we love visiting. Sometimes we have a hard time getting started because we love visiting. And sometimes we linger long after services. And that's great but we we really can't get what we need from each other here this morning I think we would agree with that we we can't and so the home is a great place to do that we all have one right so it's a great place to use Uh, let's see opportunities to show hospitality so these are some creative think outside the box take initiative uh, Play to your own strengths as a family, you know. It's okay. Use those things. But don't be afraid to be creative. So here's some practical things, that, like things that people, things that you can actually do. So one is offer guest speakers a place to stay when they travel through. Offer them a meal. Invite families from church, each other. Invite visitors from church. When we have new people come, you know, this is uh, foreign to the world. When people are invited over that haven't been around Christians much, they're like, whoa, <laughs> they're scared because that's new. It's, it's not, they're not familiar with just going into people's domain, and, you know, it's scary. But invite people from church. Show them how much you, you love them and love Jesus and want them to know about him. Invite neighbors or coworkers. We all have those people in our lives that we intermingle with all the time, but maybe we've never invited them to our home. Maybe that's the barrier that needs to be broken in order for them to want to know Jesus, is them coming to your home. Invite a single person into your family rhythm. What do I mean by that? You know, there's that transition phase from being a young adult where you're living at home with your your parents and you phase out of the house, uh, you know, I think mine, my limit for my girls is like 15, so by the time I kick them out at 15, so 15 to about, what, 20-ish, they, you know, they're in that single, whatever, I don't know, however, however soon they get married, 30, 35 nowadays, so so from 15 to 35, you know, you got this single range. Invite those people, they're in this transition phase in their lives where it, it can be lonely, it can be, discouraging, uh, both, I mean, just physically, spiritually, emotionally. You've got, you've had, you've lived with your support group your whole life, and now you're on your own. College, uh, starting a job, whatever the case might be. Invite these young adults that are transitioning into adulthood into your home, into your family rhythm. By family rhythm, I mean when you you sit down at, at night and read to your kids, invite them to come. And just sit down and read with you. Invite them to come tuck your kids in with you. Show them that they can be a part of your family. It doesn't have to be astronomical things. Just invite them into your life. Adopt a widow or a widower. Make them a part of your family. Be intentional. Think about their needs. Think about their loneliness. Love them like Christ loved us again be creative take initiative and as a family don't be afraid to play to your strengths so those are some practical tips another quote that Rose had was we think we have such important things to do and part of why we're deluded as a society she means I think it's because of the way social media has given us this platform of unearned self-righteousness and self-importance very true we think we're doing more for the kingdom by waging war on Twitter Than by chopping potatoes. What do I mean by that? Or what does she mean by that? She means that we take up these great battles in life. You know, we we think that we take this great stand on social media, is what she uses, but anywhere, at the workplace or whatever the case may be, we take this great stand for Christianity publicly, but we're not willing to chop potatoes for people to come over for dinner. Uh, uh, Just chop potatoes. (laughs) That's going to show and be so much more impactful than winning an argument on social media or even an argument face-to-face, a debate that you go to. Chop potatoes for people. Serve them by providing them a nice meal or what you hope is a nice meal. Chop potatoes. I love the simplicity of hospitality because if we love genuinely, then it doesn't have to be perfect. The food can taste like junk. You know, your kids can act up. It doesn't matter because they know that you love them and you want them there as part of your life. That's powerful. It's definitely more impactful. Imagine if this opening story that we had about Rose had gone where he says, let's get together and we're going to get, we can do it on your college campus and we're going to have a debate, you and I, and we're going to see if the Bible wins or if your theology wins. No, but what Ken did was he sacrificed. He, he took a little tougher road. He could have went, he could have probably won the debate, and he could have uh, disproved her, discouraged her, and showed everybody in the audience just how much Christians know and how powerful they are. But I think what Ken did was the harder, more real, more loving thing to do. He welcomed him, her into their home and made her part of their life and showed them what Christ really looks like. And I think hospitality affords us that opportunity to show what Christ really looks like. Uh, You know, we've remodeled a bunch of homes, several of us have in here. You you look at that home, and I can even think of myself looking back like that guy, just standing back looking at something, thinking, oh, what are we going to do with this? You know, just confused and overwhelmed. But knowing that there could be something really nice to come from that. You know, looking at that picture, a bit overwhelmed, but also confident that I can turn that piece of junk into a beautiful house that somebody will want to live in. And that's cool. It's encouraging. Well, if you, this morning, look at that, look at hospitality that way, and you look at your home and think, it's a, it's a mess, it's a wreck, it, I've got all these reasons, and I'm overwhelmed, well, your house can be transformed too, without even touching your house it can be transformed by our attitude and our love for people. So we can, we can look at our house and think it's this broken down, dilapidated thing that is not worthy of hosting anybody, and instantly our attitudes can change and say, I've got a mansion waiting for people to dwell in. I've got a table spread just begging for people to come over and have a meal. I'm dying to chop potatoes for somebody. It's that simple. It's that simple. If you're convicted by God's message on hospitality, take action as a family. Come up with a plan. Come up with a purpose. Megan and I, and I only tell you this story to illustrate the point. Because this isn't something we've done regularly uh, in our marriage. And not that we excel at hospitality. Uh, That's not why I'm speaking this morning. But we did have somebody stay in our house a while back for about a week. And that's kind of overwhelming. It's definitely overwhelming to a homeschool mom who's already, you know, overwhelmed with teaching the kids and the life rhythm, you know, when things get out of whack, everything gets out of whack, and it's difficult. We had this person stay with us for about a week, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. All, we talk, all of us talked about it. It was wonderful because it caused us to slow down. We, we had to pattern our life after having this guest live with us. So we were together in the evenings, and we had dinner. We cooked together. We enjoyed visits after dinner. It was an amazing week. But we made hospitality a priority. And I don't say that to toot our own horn, again, because we have not done that consistently, successfully. But I tell you that because of, of the impact that it had on our family. We all felt invigorated, amazingly invigorated after that week, and almost as if we had a new purpose in life. It's possible. I just, so I want, I want to tell you that to encourage you, that when you unite as a, as a family for purposes of God, he blesses us for it. He makes it worthwhile. So your, your house, as you think of it today, may, it may lie cold and spiritually dormant when it comes to hospitality. But without painting, without redoing the flooring or roofing or anything to it, it can be alive spiritually by opening the doors to strangers. Just like that. Just with genuine love. As we begin to see our homes through God's eyes, and we try to loosen the grip on our own schedules and our budgets, our possessions, we hopefully start to see our homes as spiritual hallways, conduit, for fellow believers, each other, encouraging people out of sin and into deeper freedom and joy in Christ, and then also for people who haven't believed yet, that we might win them over into eternal life. Your, your home can be transformed. It's possible. God tells us to do it, tells us how to do it. And we love genuinely, so we want to do it. Perhaps the one word that could draw somebody out of sin and a life of debauchery, perhaps, think about it, is welcome. It's not I got all the answers. It's not, come look at my my beautiful home. It's welcome. I'd love to get to know you. That's not that hard. So don't, don't let our minds be tricked into thinking it's overwhelming. Welcome. Could change somebody's life. It changed Rose's life to where now she lives a life for God and writes books to encourage others to do the same. Because somebody said welcome. That's incredible to me. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 34, and this, these verses really, uh, after studying this, gave new meaning, I guess. It says, The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you said, Welcome. come on in she says the point is when dishes get put in the sink mugs saucers and bibles get put into the hands of people and it's where you have the chance to put the hand of the stranger into the hand of the savior that's the point of hospitality we can be hospitable we can excel at hospitality I know we can uh, because I know your genuine love for people and we just sometimes, myself included, have to be reminded of the opportunity that we have before us to welcome people into our homes, to take the love of God and Christ that dwells within our family and to welcome other people to experience that. Our homes have that ability. So as you look here at this, this picture, I've got, I've got dozens of sermons that I could preach in, in an instant. Over the years, I mean, in this building, we've probably got hundreds of sermons that at any moment could be preached. Right. I may be the best. (laughs) I may be the best order. I may be the best wordsmith, the most energetic, passionate gospel preaching teacher that you have ever listened to. But it will never be, none of those sermons that I have prepared, not the best orator, the best public speaker, the most captivating guy you've ever listened to, is going to be as powerful as a 1,500 square foot sermon. I don't know how big your house is, but apply whatever how big it is to that right there. Your home can be a sermon, and the best sermon ever preached, if you allow it to be. Better than any sermon I could stand up here and give, I promise you. And wives, I want to encourage you, as you are the keepers of the home, you set the example. You don't get up here and speak from the pulpit. You don't have that opportunity. I think you have a far greater opportunity, though, to use your home as a sermon. And I would encourage you to, to, to see that and to love that. Encourage your husbands hospitality. Use your homes to preach the best sermon that you could ever preach. Sacrifice. Give up comfort to let other people come in. I don't always... I try not to be real heavy when I preach, but it always kind of turns out that way. Oh, I'm sorry. I know the people that we have in here. I know your hearts. I know your conduct. I know your purpose for living. And I want other people to experience you. I want the world to see what I see. And so that's why I give this sermon. I want to be better at being hospitable. I want to sacrifice what comforts that I enjoy that God might be glorified some way. If it messes up my routine, to God be the glory. If it makes my life more difficult, if it costs more, if I go broke being hospitable, well, I'm not living for this life anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Sacrifice. Give up in order that we might be a hospitable group. I, I know and, and believe 100% in the power of hospitality. If we as a congregation will excel in this area, the love of Christ will abound and abound and abound. I believe that. So be genuine in your hospitality. Love people genuinely. Be eager. And take some of those principles of setting goals. Put it on your calendar. Think in advance because sometimes it's hard to just do it on a whim. Think in advance. Uh, how we can be hospitable. Uh, I I love you. Appreciate your attention this morning. Encourage all of us to be hospitable and uh, show the love of Jesus everywhere we can. So let's stand and we'll have our invitation song.